Once upon a time, there was a person. Now this person grew up with big dreams. Dreams to buy a house and explore the world and have a family and be so successful they could swim in pools of money. They had a nice life and did nice things. Then they began arguing with their spouse and their kids drove them crazy. And the job that once brought them satisfaction was not going anywhere and their boss stopped noticing them. And then the pressure of this world to do more and be better and save the planet and keep up with the news and vote this way and read this self-help book really started to weigh on them. Then they came to the conclusion that life is complicated and confusing and sometimes works out, but most of the time is broken and hard and lonely. And then they died. The end. There has to be more to life than the stories we're trying so hard to write. Stories the world sells us that seem so filled with romance and adventure and epic emptiness. But there is a different story. A better story. It's a story about joy and hope and peace. A story about relationships being restored and addictions being broken. It's a story that's not about how much you make or where you live or how many friends you have. It's the story we all want. And it's the story that the world needs to hear. But the only way to know this story is to let Jesus be our storyteller. That's when we find purpose and meaning. With one change in our hearts, the entire story gets flipped on its head, where the same situations that once discouraged us have hope breathed into them. Not because the situation changed, but because the author did. And this author promises to work all things, even the craziest plot twists, for our good. There's a story that started at the beginning of time. A story that you have a place in. And it's a better story than you could ever imagine. Good morning. Woo! Um, well, if you're doing the math, today is September 24th, um, the beginning of that series that you just saw. The trailer for it. My name is Micah, one of the pastors here at the church. And as we begin... Uh, would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the way that you work in story, through story, that you created this world um, void and empty. Um, when you could have just said, let all things be fully completed, um, and yet you have woven story into the creation um, into our very lives, God. And sometimes that's exciting. Sometimes it's super frustrating. When we want to fast forward through a season, when we want to know the end, we want to know how this is going to go or turn out, God, but we thank you that we have you, the author of the story, to walk with, to put our trust in. And Lord, I pray right now for us this morning, those who are present, those watching online, um, even walking around in greeting time, and looking at faces and realizing there's so much story behind our faces. There's so much beyond just, hi, good morning, how are you? Um, and I pray for every soul who is hearing and listening and here today. God, that you would meet each person in their story the way they need to be met. That you would um, banish from your church this sense that we have to fake it that we have to pretend that we're okay because this is church. God, would you give us freedom by your spirit to be where we're at, knowing that that's right where you want to meet us and that's where we're intended to meet each other. So, Lord, be glorified in our time. Speak to us today 
in the way each of us needs to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, uh, I'm excited for this series. Um, It feels like every fall, God puts something in my heart, and then once I start planning for it, I think, what was I thinking? Um, But here we are, and I really am excited. Um, And just for some context, when we say series at Mac, maybe you're new to Mac, and we use certain language, and and you're sort of like, cool, I don't don't know what that means, but I'm going to roll with it. When we talk about a series, that's where in the past we go through maybe a book of the Bible together, or maybe we take a certain biblical topic, and we focus on that topic for a number of weeks. Um, And our our goal with any series, whatever it is, I'll just state a few things so you know kind of how we approach teaching uh, and uh, preaching God's word here. The main goal is to faithfully communicate what God says, to understand what he says. Rather than trying to shape God's word with our perspectives and experiences, we want him to shape us with his. Amen? That's what we want, and that's not always easy. It's way easier to say, this is what I think, and I'm going to find the verse that will support that. We want to open up our hearts and our eyes to what God has to say and then say, are we in line with what God says is true? Number two, we want to personally experience the God of the Bible. We are not just here to learn information, to be religious. We want to know Jesus. Amen? And so while we do believe that this is God's inspired word, We understand that it's just a gateway to know the word. Jesus is referred to in the New Testament as the living word of God. And that is why we're here is to know him, to walk with him, to worship him. The last one though, and and definitely something that's always on my heart, whatever week or series we're in, is to bring practical help to what we're facing and to where we're at. And I know that can be a, a a bit of a challenge with a group of people, But just a couple examples of this, if you've been at Mac, or maybe you haven't, we went through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. And this, it's the story of the city was destroyed and this people that came back to their city and rebuilt the city, but it was also post-COVID. And so we called the series Rise Up and Rebuild to basically stop and look at our own land and our own lives and ask, what is God calling us as his people to do? Another example of this is um, right after the last presidential election, we went through the book of 1 Peter, and we titled that series, uh, We the People, and partly because of how much Peter speaks to who we are as God's people, that's primarily why, but also to sort of push on the political tension a little bit. And my heart in, in that much of it was to expose nationalistic idolatry that takes the place of our ultimate allegiance to Jesus as his people. So that's just an example of of how we're trying in these times to faithfully teach God's word, but in a way that meets us, right? And so this series, it it also was born out of a heart uh, to engage with this culture. In an increasingly complex landscape of narratives, to know, on the one hand, what is the better story, How does your personal story interact with the story God is writing? But then also to introduce others, not just to some theological concepts that we're telling them to believe, but the story in a way that connects with their stories. But I want to let you know out of the beginning here that that this series is a bit unique in that we are not going to be going through a book of the Bible. We're going to be zooming out and asking what is this story? And then getting into some harder questions. Where do we get our assumptions about morality? 
What's right and wrong? Who shapes your identity? What defines purpose? Why are we here? And as we understand more of the stories of the world, the goal is we'll be able to better relate to the parts of their story that are actually borrowed from the Christian story. The reason for this series, which to me seems obvious, is we live in a time where there is mass confusion. Where on the one hand, we have God's word, but on the other hand, there are these overlapping, contradictory narratives that have confused and in a lot of cases, silenced Christians. Even those who have God's word right in front of them. And part of the reason is these narratives are, are reinforced by the stories of culture, by the movies and the shows and the songs that we find even ourselves longing for and believing. The point of this series is not to diminish the beauty and the value of the stories that we love and know. I love a good TV show. I love movies. I love music, all kinds of music. It's really actually to think about the power of those stories to shape us and to move people. Because we live in unprecedented times where the beauty of the Christian story, which at one point in our culture was respected and welcomed, is now viewed as a threat to modern society. What once provided answers to the problem of sin and helped us understand the mess that we're in and, and provided hope for redemption is now seen by many as dangerously regressive. And in place of this foundational story, which is actually woven through every part of our world and even into our own bodies as image bearers of God, in place of that, we have instead a dramatic rise in radical individualism, where the benefits of family and community and tradition are now burdens to be cast off in the pursuit of your authentic self. In the past, there was a desire for balance, individuality, which, for the record, God loves. He created individuals to individually pursue the individual purposes <laughs> that he made them for. But a balance between that and, on the other hand, the importance of community, asking questions like, what is better for society at large? What stories and values and beliefs have proven true over time? You see, the latter group, that, is viewed with skepticism. It's a time when anything outside of how I feel is either irrelevant or outright oppressive. And in place of this better story, we're told, write your own. Write your own story. Doesn't matter what's good for the people around you. Doesn't matter what's commanded by God. There's no God. Doesn't even matter what you see in reality. All that matters is what do you feel? Go after that. And the point is what's feeding this radical individualism and supporting and galvanizing it in our culture are stories, countless beautiful stories filled with emotion <laughs> where this new value system starts to make sense to us. And where we as the church find ourselves, we who have this better story, we find ourselves retreating and pulling back and getting quiet because nobody wants to be called closed-minded or a bigot or regressive. 
Which is what happens, by the way, part of this modern narrative is you cannot disagree without being a hater. I could cite multiple examples from just this last week. You can't stand up and say, I don't think this is right or good for our, our kids, for our culture, without having someone say, stop the hate. And so it quiets you down. It does the intended purpose. It shuts you up. But I want to be clear about the purpose of this series. Even as I, as I talk like this, I think some of us might be like, yeah, and you know, we need to fight back. And it's us versus them. I want to be super clear. I was, I was reminded of a story in the Bible. Paul entered this Greek city of Athens in, the, um, in Acts, Acts chapter 17. He enters this city where he is immediately met with their pagan uh, altars and, and idols and all of these icons. And, and rather than coming into the city to fight with them or to feel threatened, these people are trying to ruin my way of life which is often how Christians have responded. Instead, he sees a people who are actually searching for a better way of life. And because of that mindset and that shift, he he learns their story. He engages with their story and and he then builds bridges between their story and the story of the gospel. We're going to look at that later in our series. And so the inspiration for this series actually came through a conversation with a friend. He was telling me about this book he was reading, and he was paraphrasing a quote, and it was one of those moments, I feel like I always have a moment before I land on what we're going to be doing as a church, where I just feel like God is like, that's it. And up till that point, I'm like reading, I'm studying, I've got a list of ideas, and it's almost never any of those ideas. And and I'm kind of just waiting, I'm like, God, what do you want? There's a lot we could do, what should we do? And it was, it was the moment where I was like, that's it. And it was this paraphrased quote, and it's literally paraphrased. I don't, I don't know where it comes from. But he, he said, what the world needs from the church is not to hear how wrong they are. They need to hear a better story. What the world needs from the church is not us ranting and raving about how wicked they are and how awesome we are. They need us to enter into the stories and reveal something better than what they have. Rather than regurgitating outdated apologetic methods and pulling our hair out because they don't work because they're no, the world no longer shares the assumptions of the church, we need to engage meaningfully in people's stories to take seriously what's important to them and listen. And then even, God forbid, validate their story and parts of their story that actually resemble and are borrowed from the Christian story their desire to flourish, their desire for justice and equality. And if you've read the Bible, you know that no one did this better than Jesus. The Son of God enters the set of his own story (laughs) and begins telling stories and drawing people into the narrative of God's kingdom in all of these different ways that connect to the everyday details of their lives. In fact, Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, observed that when Jesus taught the crowds, quote, he did not say anything to them without using a parable. Those of you who don't know parables, a story intended to illustrate a truth or make a point. But Jesus knows that we love story and we respond to it. It grabs our attention. Do you agree? It it activates my imagination. I can see myself actually 
in that reality. It engages the emotions, which is something that in the church has been viewed as negative for many years. It pulls the whole person into the story of truth. For example, if I tell you, if I stood up here this morning and I said, the Bible says you should be generous. The Bible says you should be kind. The Bible says you should not lie. I could go on for 15 minutes like that. How long would it take for you to just look at your phone or tune out? It's all true. It's all true. But if on the other hand, I said, you know, the other day I was walking down the street and I saw this guy on, on the street corner and I started walking over to him and right before I got to him, you know what happened? I don't know what happened because I'm making this up. Um, but do you want to know? I want to know. <laughs> you see, it activated something in you because we're made for story. God created this world with with story, with sequence, with progression, with twists and turns, and that's how we're wired. You see, statements can be accepted or rejected, but Jesus understood that stories invite people in (laughs) to relationship, to ask questions, to be curious, to, to even envision themselves as part of that. Another reason we love stories, I think, is it helps us make sense of our lives, And this gets pretty philosophical, uh, which I'm not going to lean into this morning too much, but it it gives a context for truth that that adds credibility and plausibility to the truth statement, where I can see it work out and go, yeah, that works. It helps us make sense of life, which is why when Jesus taught on forgiveness, he didn't just say, God forgives. He said there was a father who had two sons. Right? When Jesus spoke of God's love, he talked about a shepherd who lost a sheep and did everything he could to go after and get that sheep back. What does that do in you? Versus just, God loves you. Or a woman who lost money and, and turned her house upside down to recover that money. And when someone asked Jesus, How do I be a good neighbor? He didn't say, Well, go meet your neighbor. Talk to them and then tell them about Jesus. He didn't give them steps. He said there was a man who was traveling and he was badly beaten. And then there was this one really unlikely dude who took the time to notice the suffering and stop and do something about it. And by the end of the story, you get it. You're like, and that's when Jesus says, go and do likewise. See, we're all living a story. We're not some collection of theological, theoretical ideas that we have to like try to fit in. It's, we're, we're, we're living a narrative. And so is everyone around you. You see, I think we've lost a lot of this as the church, tapping into the imagination of our culture. The beauty of this story that we have. And while we're telling people they should go to church, or they should stop acting in ways that are actually consistent with who they are, Hollywood is cranking out one amazing story after another. Stories that often do a better job than the church with forgiveness and redemption and freedom and adventure and hope. 
the stories that capture the minds and the hearts of people. And the principle that's at play here, which I think Jesus understood because he created us. We'll get into that later. Stories capture the heart and the heart moves the person. Stories capture the heart and the heart moves the person. One example, this is a quote I ran across by um, an English reformer, Thomas Cranmer, 500 years ago. Uh, Anecdotally, he was the one who made the case for King Henry VIII to leave his wife. But that may help you understand this quote, which is why I share it. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. Now, we could spend a while talking about whether or not you agree or disagree with that statement. Um, But the point I want to make is that if the church is speaking only to the mind, world, this is wrong. World, this is what's right. We will never move people from the underlying assumptions that have been established by the stories of culture. And speaking of stories, every week I I wanna share examples of stories and movies that we all know and and many of us love. And and one of those this week that's become a cultural uh, and even a global classic is the TV show Friends. Anybody? and again, to be clear out of the gate, my intent in these messages is not to critique narratives. It's to think about them. It's to examine how do these narratives shape us. So this show, friends, if you don't know, it's six friends living in New York City, uh, really, really close, really loyal to each other through the ups and downs. In fact, something every one of us wants for ourselves, Intimacy and community. Basic, basically, when this show came out, it was, um, I read about this, it pushed the boundaries of what was morally acceptable. It, it, it made culture squirm a little bit. But then by the end of the show, it was, it was safely in the canon of classic television. And it runs 24-7 on at least some channel. But one of the repeated themes in this show, just to pick one, is that sex is not this deep relational commitment. It's a commodity. It's like a cup of coffee, right? And so it, it doesn't matter who you have sex with, doesn't matter how many people you have sex with, because at the end of the day, even if that one night stand didn't work out like the previous 10, you're back in the coffee shop laughing with your friends, even the ones you've slept with. But I realized this week as I was, was thinking about this, the longer you watch the show, and I would say this of any show, the harder it is to disagree with their lifestyle. Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay, good. And I I think I know why. It's not because I I saw a couple episodes that disturbed me and I I went to God's word and I opened it up and studied his design for sexuality. Um, It's not because um, I asked, "Is is this kind of behavior healthy for broader society at large? It's not because um, I suddenly discovered all of the benefits of promiscuous sex. It's because I love that story. It's because we love those characters. It's because we laugh and we're rooting for them. And by the end, we want them to have whatever makes sense to them. And that begins to make sense to me. Where on the one hand, I have God's biblical teaching on human sexuality and his design for us to flourish in sexuality. But then I'm also carried along and I'm shaped by the stories I love. And again, whatever the heart loves, 
the mind justifies. See, these emotional experiences of story overpower truth statements. I'm not saying truth statements are not important or true, but story wins. And we as the church have to begin by admitting at the very least we have been badly out-narrated by the world. While Christians are fighting for Ten Commandments to get on the lawn, the world is telling sweepingly beautiful stories of individuality and moral autonomy and freedom from the so-called constraints of religion and tradition and even biology. It doesn't matter what is logical, what is rational, what matters is what's captivated the hearts and minds of people. And what makes sense, what makes this so uh, complicated is many of the stories that we, we love share so much with the Christian story, right? The longing for justice and intimacy and freedom and flourishing and, and the element of, of sacrificing yourself for another. Where do you think that comes from? But the problem with these stories is the world has removed the main character and then they've rewritten the main plot line. And so no wonder people are confused about identity, why we're here and who we are. And so while culture has been telling a more captivating story, I don't think you can argue that against that, it is far from a better story. Because what we don't see behind the reality of these, these TV shows and the movies is what those lifestyles actually lead to. You don't see the hopelessness of trying to find meaning in a worldview that provides none. You don't see the addiction to sex. You don't see people seeking intimacy and constantly experiencing rejection and laying their head on their pillow at night and wondering why they're here. And who would actually commit to be with them for the long haul? What is actually the reality is relational wreckage. But you don't see that. What you end up feeling, the message you get at the end of that is, this could be you. You could be free. You could be your authentic self. But as we examine these cultural narratives, we discover some huge plot holes. Uh, and this is something that I'll unpack more in, the, in future weeks. And um, it can be a bit complicated, but it, it, it's like the never-ending promise that in the commercials, the movies, the shows, if you just have that car, if you just have that phone, if you just have more money, you'll be fulfilled, which we know from experience isn't true, right? As much as you may have a moment of, of satisfaction or relief, the reality is the more we have, the more we want. It's not the iPhone 7, it's the iPhone 8, and 9, and 10, and 11, and 12, and 13, and 14, and it never stops. I always need the newest thing, and the newest thing never really satisfies my heart, but we keep chasing it. Ecclesiastes, this is why the Bible says, whoever loves money will not have enough money. And whoever loves wealth will not be satisfied with it. To be clear, money is a good thing. We don't talk about the value of money in the church the way Jesus did. But when it's the thing, it backfires on us. Another theme in the popular narratives today is that we are all accidents. Congratulations. <laughs> Everything. Once there was nothing, then there was something. 
And then there was a huge explosion that brought all the order and design we see today because that's what explosions do. (laughs) And that's why we have this perfectly organized life and beauty in the world that we see, okay? But I was thinking, based on where we supposedly came from, there is no purpose. You can't possibly compel me to believe that there is a higher purpose because I'm an accident. I'm a mass of cells, There is no obligation to be a better person. There is no morality. What is morality to animals? There is no obligation to help the person next to me. But when you compare that logical conclusion of the prevailing worldview with the way the world actually lives their lives, constantly pursuing higher purpose, constantly defining what's right and wrong and important, constantly advocating for causes, and even sacrificing themselves for a higher purpose, which makes zero sense from a naturalistic standpoint. What is the logical framework for sacrifice in a worldview that says, you're only here because of survival of the fittest? Which is another theme in the narrative. Survival of the fittest is a basic principle of science that we can verify, right? But on the other hand, the idea that there's no God... There's no obligation to the people around you, especially the vulnerable, who are just ready to be selected out by nature, right? Isn't that what we believe? Isn't that what our kids learn in the classroom? So let me ask respectfully and purely hypothetically, in this worldview that the world has adopted, this narrative, this story, what is the logical objection to something like genocide? What's the logical objection to one race overpowering another one? If we're animals, if we're actually here because the strong survive. Isn't this just nature doing what nature does? Especially if there is no absolute truth, which I would say is the foundational building block for the stories of our day. The only truth is to be true to yourself. And whereas that once was just an idea, this is now a moral quest. It's actually wrong. If you you suggest uh, or question the individual's autonomy, you are evil. But what if me being true to myself makes you miserable? What if what makes me happy is hurting you or stealing from you? Do you have a logical basis based on our prevailing worldview today, the story people are living out, to say that I'm wrong? Or what if I don't care about the planet? What if I just say, I'm, I don't even know how I got here. I'm here to live and die and have the most fun I can have. What, can, what compels me to care about the planet? What compels me to care about equality <laughs> or to resist corruption? Now, in case some of you are bristling at this rhetorical nonsense, I'm trying to make a point that we can't live with our own narrative and culture. It simply doesn't make sense of reality as we see it. It doesn't make sense of what's in our hearts. And and as much as it may sound rhetorical, this, as I said, is the story being taught in classrooms to our children. 
And so is it any wonder kids are struggling with identity? Is it any wonder they're wondering if they have any purpose or belonging or that there's an increase in violent crime, which actually fits well with the evolutionary worldview? So we tell them the story, but then we punish them when they live it out. You see, when we remove the main character of the story and we rewrite the fundamental plot line, things get weird. They get messy. They get confusing. And people are like, I know I'm here for more, but I don't know why or who. But this is where the church comes in, friends. Because rather than ranting against culture or viewing people as a threat to our way of life, We get to tell a better story, a story that actually makes sense of who people are and why we see the mess we see today in the world. It it, it gives reason behind the impulse for justice, amen, and the desire for freedom and flourishing and morality. See, we get to validate parts of the stories in in culture that connect to the Christian story, and then we get to build bridges and introduce them to the author of the story, the one who never gives up, who's constantly redeeming our failures, who gives hope for a future, who is the source of justice and mercy and beauty and meaning and everything that is transcendent that we know we're made for, the one who is passionate about individual rights, but who made the individual to live in community for the good of others. Friends, we have a better story that makes sense of the world, it makes sense of our lives, and next week we're going to start getting into the actual plot, the story. That's not only been written, which is maybe how we tend to think of it, is this is the story in this book, but is being written in the lives of those who know the author. But as we close... Um, I have no idea how this is landing. Um, This feels new to me. Uh, I am excited to get into scriptures, passages. We're going to spend a few weeks in Genesis, um, the most important chapter of the story. It's usually the first one. I had somebody argue with me last week. It's the last one. And I'm like, no, it's the first one, because that's what sets up the story. Anyway, um, sorry. As we close, I wanted to share, speaking of stories, just one story from um, Homer's Odyssey. Um, About 3,000 years ago, this story was written recounting the journey of Odysseus or Ulysses, depending on what language, I think that's Latin and Greek. Um, This respected leader who was returning from war and he was sailing and he was warned on his journey home that he would encounter this island with uh, what have heard called sirens or a sirenis, if you're a Greek person. I'm not, so I'm gonna say sirens. Uh, These were monsters who disguised themselves as beautiful women, and they would sing these alluring songs to draw men and sailors into the island where they would eventually dash on the rocks and die. And Odysseus, when he heard this warning, he was terrified, and he told his men to put wax in their ears so that as they sailed by, they would not hear the song, and they would not be allured into the island. And, and Odysseus, though, on the other hand, he wanted to hear the song, but he's like, I don't want to have the option to go in, so tie me to the mast of the ship. And so his men put wax in their ears, and they tied Odysseus to the mast of the ship and actually found this artist rendering of that moment. 
As they approached the island, the sirens began to sing, and Odysseus actually was captivated by the song, and he struggled to break free from his ropes, and he yelled to the men, take me to the island. But because their ears were plugged, they just kept rowing until they got past the island. Now this story, which obviously goes on and on and on, is often associated with the dangers of lust. Men being drawn to the the alluring song and and destroying their lives. And I think that's a valid application. But several comparisons I ran across liken the voice of the sirens more broadly to the influence of of the world. The influence of culture, the allure uh, that promises life. The songs, the stories, the beauty that says, come this direction. And just to illustrate this comparison, the lyrics of the siren song sound like pretty much every commercial you see today. Uh, Tell me if any of this sounds familiar or to to make it more personal, tell me if any of this appeals to any of your desires. As the ship is sailing by, the sirens are singing these words. Odysseus, bravest of heroes, draw near to us. We will teach you wisdom. We will give you love. The songs we sing will soothe away sorrow, and in our arms you will be happy. The songs we sing will bring you peace. Any of that represents something that you want. It basically summarizes the deepest longings of every human being. To have wisdom, to know how to live life well. To have love that won't go away. To be happy, to be soothed, to hear someone say... You're the bravest of heroes. See, the stories of culture, friends, are tapping into these desires. They're promising these things, and people are envisioning themselves getting those things. But as it says in the Bible, like the siren song, there is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. Friends, we have a better story We have one that not only promises, but delivers on the promise of wisdom and love and happiness and peace. But how do we get that story to our world? I would suggest it begins with Christians, if I might suggest, not plugging their ears. Not hiding in fear from the songs of culture, but singing a better one. I ran across a very interesting rewrite of this story of Homer's Odyssey. About a hundred years ago, a German novelist, uh, Franz Kafka, you may recognize that name, wrote a short story titled The Silence of the Sirens, in which the sailors, rather than plugging their ears in fear, it says this of Odysseus, Odysseus, in innocent joy, headed toward the sirens. The look of bliss in the face of Odysseus made them forget all singing. And as he sails by the island, it says the sirens no longer had any desire to allure. All they wanted was to hold as long as they could to the radiance that fell from Odysseus' great eyes. Now, I'm not a Greek mythology scholar, and I know there's a ton of interpretation and discussion. But isn't it interesting the reversal that took place? Rather than fearful avoidance, of the songs of culture. 
there's this bold, joyful confidence that actually silences the sirens. It captivates their attention. It, it, it awakens a desire to even be a part of what Odysseus has had, right? There's something in his face that I need. So as our worship team comes, church, I wonder, what if in our universal desire for wisdom, we understood that Christ Jesus became to us wisdom. And from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What if in our longing to be loved, we knew that God so loved the world and he proved it that while we were sinners, his son was sent to die in our place so that whoever believes in him will not dash their life on the rocks but we'll have everlasting life. What if in our hunger for happiness and our pursuit of peace, we experience the reality that in his presence is fullness of joy and that God made Christ our peace, the one who reconciles us to our creator and restores us to each other. Friends, we have the best story of all and the, the siren songs and the stories of culture lose their appeal in the light of the gospel. That Christ entered his own story. He offered himself freely as a sacrifice for your sins and mine to redeem the mess we see and the mess we made. He died and he rose again to bring us back to the wholeness and the health we were made for. And we know in our hearts, this isn't right. This isn't it. Christ came to give it to us. Friends, this is the story the world is so desperately longing to hear. And until they do, they will continue to be drawn toward the island to hear one promise after another and say, that's it, that's it, that's it, and continually moving closer and closer to destruction until we as the church learn to intercede, to enter into the stories of people, to look them in the eye and take them seriously. To know, to know that, they're, that they're made in the image of God and they're beautiful. And when they, when they sink their hearts and, and lives into these TV shows and these movies, it's them searching for this story. Searching to come alive and to connect to the God who made them. How are they going to learn that? It's us. Would you pray with me? Jesus, um, We acknowledge you are the author, the perfecter, the one who wrote the story and is writing the story and will one day come back and complete the story. And we also know, God, that as, as much as you are transcendent and so beyond our imagining, you are imminent, you are present, you are relatable. So much that in the wildest plot twist in any story ever, God took on flesh so that we could see you, so, so that we could say that's what God is like. 
And then in the even crazier plot twist that God wouldn't come to earth to be elevated and honored and worshiped and to buy the biggest houses and to have the most money and to have the most followers on social media, but to be persecuted and ridiculed and beaten and killed. What an unlikely twist. The one who gives us life was put to death. But God, we know that this is all part of your plan. This is your story to redeem us. I pray that we would hear you today. We'd see you, God, and that you would plant in us a desire that grows like a seed that's in the dirt and becomes an orchard. God, that you would plant seeds in our hearts today that would grow into this inextinguishable desire to move toward the world with your heart of love. God, the world does not need a critical, angry, self-righteous church. The world needs people who love the way you love. May we be those people, Jesus. We look to you knowing that apart from you, we can do nothing. Fill us. Help us abide in you and stay close to you. In your name.